standard issue for all women. Hello there, it's Jen here, here to welcome you to this week's Sunday Chops. This is the first of two. In fact, there will be another Sunday Chops in which our Mick chats to Jude Christian, the director of play Othello Macbeth. So keep your ears peeled for that one as well. But for now, back to the matter at hand, which is this particular Chops in which myself and Hannah have a little natter with mental health and body image campaigner and author of A Beginner's Guide to Being Mental, an A to Z from Anxiety to Zero Fucks Given, that's Natasha Devon. She came into the studio a couple of weeks ago to have a chat with us about the really frightening statistics around self-harm in young people, particularly teenage girls, and about why the little green notification light on your phone is sort of evil and about her where's your head at campaign i'm not gonna lie to you it is an absolutely fascinating and quite disturbing chat so uh, i hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoyed talking to natasha just want to do a little bit of admin for you before i let you get into the meat of this particular chops if you haven't already subscribed to this here podcast please do because it's ever so helpful for us it means we get some downloads and some cash from those advertisers and you don't even have to do anything if you don't want to but it would also be lovely if you would rate and review the podcast on the old itunes it's an extremely helpful way of getting the word out there algorithms and that like the robots you're going to hear about now it's good for us good for numbers and that anyway i i won't go too deep into that so without further ado you can hear about some more algorithms and other terrifying facts about technology right now here's natasha i hope you enjoy it hi there we are joined by natasha devon body image and mental health campaigner and author of a beginner's guide to being mental and a to z from anxiety to zero fucks Natasha, hello. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for joining us. I'm very impressed you said the full title. You we know. love a good fuck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and this is a safe space. You, you may swear as much as you like. Oh, brilliant. There were some rather depressing statistics that came out about the uh, rise in self-harm among young people, in particular girls. Mm. I think the results of the, of the survey of, I think it was 11,000 young people, found that now almost a quarter of the girls that responded to it said that they had self-harmed in the past year so it's 22 percent compared to nine percent of boys so it's obviously a growing issue but one of the things that they picked up on was that body image and gendered issues in particular Mm. were kind of contributing to that you do a lot of work about mental health and you've done quite a lot of work i think you do a lot of work with schools that's right and you've written in your book about how social media is sort of contributing to this so what kind of issues are we are we looking at here well it's really complicated and actually one of the first things that i said in the chapter on the internet in the book is it's not as simple as saying social media is causing mental illness that's a massive oversimplification but Social media might very well be lowering self-esteem and having high self-esteem is an essential component in good mental health. Also, we think that the internet might be teaching young people how to self-harm because what you'll find, I've, I've been working in schools now for 12 years since I was 25 and the underlying issues that young people are experiencing so things like low self-worth and depression and anxiety they remain pretty much constant but the way that they manifest you'll see trends between different generations and I think at the moment if somebody is in distress or they've got low mood 
the trend, if you like, is very much towards self-harm. And I think that's probably because of the massive prevalence of information there is out there on the internet. Because I know, for example, with, with things like suicide, there are media guidelines and things mm. that you, you shouldn't say. But what kind of things are we talking about? Are we talking about eating disorders? Are we talking about sort of physical harm to oneself? Well, th- this is really interesting, actually, because self-harm is defined as any activity which harms you either physically or emotionally, which you know probably isn't good for you, but gives you temporary respite from difficult feelings. So in that context... I defy you to find a human alive who hasn't self-harmed at some point. You know, if you've ever got drunk or taken drugs or even, you know, eaten a donut to take the edge off, technically you were self-harming. But of course, it's all on a spectrum. Mm. So when people talk about self-harm in terms of kind of these statistics, they're mostly talking about two things. Firstly, cutting and secondly, self-poisoning, which is the number one reason why girls in particular are admitted to hospital um, for self-harming behaviours. But what's interesting about that is that there are self-harming behaviours that boys in particular engage in, which aren't logged as such. So what you'll find is that This is acknowledged amongst a lot of the psychologists that you'll talk to, but you won't find it in the statistics. There's a phenomenon of um, young men getting themselves into fights that they know they can't win. Yeah, took the words out of my mouth. (laughs) Yeah, or, you know, punching inanimate objects or even... Always wondered why. Punching a wall, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or even, you know, in certain contexts, carrying a knife you know, could be seen, depending on the intentions of the individual, could be seen as a form of self-harm. Well, I mean, it's, it's for a number of reasons, potentially a very self-destructive act. The interesting thing about fighting or, mm. you know, punching a wall is it's a visible thing, isn't it? I mean, if your son comes home from school with a black eye, then you are likely to ask questions about where that came from. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the harm that girls inflict on themselves is a secret, like mm. a private, it's mm. an easily missed sort of harm isn't it? it I think what you've hit on there and what I find most interesting when looking at the kind of gender discrepancies in mental health is the way that children are socialized from such a young age boys are pretty much taught that anger is the only acceptable emotion whereas girls are taught that any emotion is acceptable apart from anger so what you'll find is that boys are more often logged as having a behavioral issue whereas in fact it could be it could have an emotional root whereas girls are taught to internalize things so i think that kind of hugely secretive self-harm that kind of form of self-punishment is more feminine let's say mm-hmm. in its nature i mean it was suicide as well that men tend to take more violent and i think this is sort of potentially thought as one of the contributing reasons why suicide is so much higher mm. among men than women is that men tend to take more violent options than women and I wonder if that is maybe partly to do with the same sort of issue. Well, as well, um, I ran a campaign for International Women's Day looking at the intersection between mental illness and misogyny, essentially. And the, the number one story that we heard from the women that got in touch was when I spoke out in very clear terms about what I was going through, it, whereas if I'd been a man, I would have been called brave. As a woman, you're called a drama queen. Mm, and, uh, yeah. And you're you're exaggerating and all of that kind of stuff. So it's little surprise then that women attempt suicide more often or self-harm because that's a physical gesture, isn't it? It's a way of being taken seriously. So you've sort of touched on this before, but you say in the book that you make the point that this isn't really anything new, this idea that sort of technology is 
is harming us in some way, like TV and radio all sort of spark similar kind of concerns about overstimulation and whatnot. So why specifically is social media thought to be causing us problems? When I was researching the book, actually, I was looking at what people said about radios and TVs and video games. And my agent actually sent me a brilliant, it was a clipping from a newspaper where they found that more than 50% of people thought that comics were responsible for behavioural issues amongst young people. So it's essentially any new phenomenon that comes along and changes the way that young people communicate and behave is is inherently seen as dangerous. However, the big difference with phones is that there's no respite from from them. They're not confined to, you know, a corner of the living room. So from that respect, it's relentless. And it has caused, technology, I think, has caused this big gulf between parents and children um, in the way that they understand each other. Like, you know, when I was growing up, there's nothing that I was going through that I couldn't have asked my mum about because she would have done it or thought about doing it. (laughs) Whereas today's teenagers they're kind of they're asking their parents about a landscape that they're not familiar with I think as well to a certain extent parents could control what came into the house Mm. with with videos with dvds with music you know you could say okay I you are they're involved a purchase generally I will let you buy that book I will let it let you buy whereas with phones they have unlimited access to unlimited things and they will always find a way around the boundaries that you put in place like um a colleague of mine made a documentary about pornography and they did some research with channel 4 and cambridge university and as part of that they gave a 14 year old boy the fort Knox of laptops had every single parental control you could possibly conceive of on it and they challenged him to find some porn and he did it in eight seconds <laughs> um, it just shows they're so much more tech savvy than we are I think one of the things that concerns me, I've got a nephew, he's 12, um, is that it's, with things like YouTube, mm. it's it's the, the concept of rolling on. Yeah. So he, he watches whatever mm. YouTuber that he watches, and that ends, and then something else comes up. Now, how appropriate that is, yeah. or whether that's anything that he, he should be watching, or... I mean, they always say it's thematically linked, isn't it? And you're like, I don't want to listen to Toto by Africa. But yet that's always the next song that comes up on (laughs) YouTube for me. I don't know why. I don't know why. But it it always seems to crop up as the next song. But, you know, with children, who knows? And parents can't be there watching every three minute video that they watch. Absolutely right. And going back to porn for a second, not I'm not fixated on it. I just have a point Um, (laughs) is uh, the algorithms on that. So when you um, scan the brain of a really prolific porn user, their neural pathways are identical to an alcoholic or a drug addict because porn doesn't actually appeal to the sexual part of the brain. It appeals to the addictive part of the brain. So when you're online looking at porn video, there are certain keywords that will be embedded within that video based on your preferences. And the algorithm will suggest for the next video something that is just slightly more explicit in its content than the last thing because it wants to get you to a point where the the free videos are no longer getting you off and about 10% of users will graduate to pay-per-view porn and that's how that website makes money. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's like the old theory about drugs, isn't it? Start you on the lowest gateway. The gateway. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly yeah. the same thing. But also, I mean, it's having an impact on, on the, the sex 
in young people, isn't it? Because normal sex isn't doing it for them anymore because of all of this nonsense that they're seeing on the internet. Oh, God, when we interviewed Laura Bates, she told us some stuff that made my eyes come out on stalks, and Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm particularly broodish, but it was absolutely terrifying. Well, I also think you have to take into account the overarching narrative because most of the, the kind of mainstream porn videos out there depict a woman being coerced into sex in some way and there's no indication other than invariably it's quite bad acting but (laughs) there's no indication that it's fake so the the kind of the narrative is that all women can be worn down to a point where they will want to have sex with you that's the the kind of belief system that is being cultivated in in porn users Do you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with, I was at a friend of mine's house. There was a young man there. I'd say late teens, early 20s. I said something and he went, oh, God, you're like one of those real feminists, aren't you? And <laughs> what I, does that even mean? I Well, I don't know. But he said to me, can I ask you a question? And he asked me a question that I have to say came from, it was earnest. It wasn't a 50-year-old bloke. Well, we can't even fucking go and talk to a girl at a bar anymore. <laughs> it was a genuine, earnest question. And he yeah. said, if I see a girl sitting in a cafe and I would like to go and talk to her, am I sexually harassing her if I go and talk to her? Mm. And to which I said, well, if she got if she got earphones in, you know, is she drinking, is she working? You know, put yourself in her situation and think, would you like someone to come and interrupt you at this point? If the answer is yes, it wouldn't bother me. Go and talk to her. She's not interested after one one sentence. Walk away. Yeah. That that's the point, isn't yeah. it? It's that you can't you can't grind girls down. Walk away at that point. It's knowing when to cut your losses. Yeah. I hope that was a good piece of advice no, to I give think us. But, yeah. but I think yeah. it it genuinely shows that actually Young men are confused. They're getting a lot of messages from a lot of different places, and it is confusing yeah. to them. The sort of classic one, isn't it, is should I open a door? Yeah. And my response is always, if somebody looks like it might be helpful for you to open the door for them, regardless of sex or gender, yeah. just open the door for them because you're a nice human being. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's a good rule to live I your life by, open right? Open doors for people, male or female. I <laughs> right. think yeah. it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, I offer to... If someone's got a lot of luggage going down a set of stairs, do you say, hand with that? would you want a hand with that? Yep. Yeah. Well hey. done, guys. <laughs> we solved it. One of the things in the book that I read, which actually scared the bejesus out of mm. me, was that phones, like the notifications on phones, cause a spike in dopamine. Correct. Yeah. What the actual fuck? So they, so the people that design social media sites use the same technology as gambling sites. This is quite widely reported, which is why the kind of the bigwigs in, in Silicon Valley, they won't allow their children to have phones, apparently, because they are designed to be mm. addictive. So what happens is when you get a notification on your phone or a new follower or someone likes your post... Um, you get this little spike of dopamine, which would be the same as if you had an alcoholic drink. And that induces what we call a Pavlovian response. So it means that you want to jump on your phone right away. And ooh, it's exciting. But 
over time, that can cause issues. So uh, there was a um, study by the BBC that found that half of 12 to 14 year olds feel actively guilty if they don't respond to text messages and other notifications immediately. Um, and then, of course, you've got the whole um, issue of WhatsApp groups, oh, which are just Satan's invention. The, like, but we've all we're all in things. like a thousand of oh, them, right? But I yeah, I'm in, I'm in two. I'm in two. I'm in so many. And they're both for work. They're just the social media yeah. equivalent of, you know, those emails where no one CCs you out and they're having yeah. this conversation and it's not relevant and yeah. it's just taking up brain space. But it's if you've got, say, 30 people in a WhatsApp group and all 30 of those people feel guilty if they haven't responded to the yeah. last message, that's how you end up 2 a.m. under your duvet yeah. still furtively mm. texting. And that's going to interfere with your sleep and sleep has an impact on mental health. So phones basically are evil. I actually went to a thing a while ago. They were a, a Vodafone were launching. Um, I don't want to be rude about them because Craig David was playing at this event, which is the only reason I went. And um, <laughs> do you love what day of the week it was? It it was Wednesday. So my <laughs> oh, mate actually, my mate actually texted me first and said, "Do you think we're in danger?" Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not a big fan of his. It was more for ironic purposes. They were talking about like these this new thing that they'd launched or whatever. Um, please invite me to any more things with Craig David Vodafone. But basically, they had <laughs> all people there from like Netflix, from Amazon, from blah blah blah, and they were talking about phones and and the future that they painted was incredibly bleak i thought mm. they were talking about how basically no one has any no one can live in the moment anymore we constantly need things to distract us they were saying that like what would probably happen would be that there'd be episodes of things that were like 10 minutes long basically to fill your walk home to the station in the mm. morning or whatever and they're all talking about this, like, this is a great opportunity, blah, blah, blah. And you're thinking, this is madness. <laughs> like, yeah. This, this yeah. sounds awful. <laughs> Are we destroying people's concentration spans as well? I think you've hit on something incredibly interesting there because there's a an advert that I show in some of my classes that I do. Um, and we analyse the themes and look at what you could be taking on unconsciously while you watch it. And it's about 45 seconds long. And it really, every time I, I play it in a class now, I think adverts aren't this long anymore because actually it is, it's mm. an effort <laughs> to hold your concentration for that long. And where that presents a problem is that truth is in nuance. And, uh, you know, this whole idea that you have to be able to summarise your opinion in 280 characters and you have to pick a side and um, everything's black and white, I think might ultimately herald the destruction of humanity. <laughs> There's no such thing as context anymore. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 So sort of going back to this idea of self-esteem mm. and what this sort of social media nonsense is, is doing to younger people... A friend of mine runs like a summer camp with sort of disadvantaged kids in North London and she was talking to me about how they really lack resilience now in a way that she found surprising. Does that feed into this kind of obsession with external validation that you talk about in the book that's sort of, you know, all this sort of selfie culture and whatnot? It's really interesting because resilience is a word that has become like a buzzword in education over the past, I would say, three or four years. Mm. And 
everybody means something different <laughs> when they use that word. For me, um, I don't think resilience is something that you decide to have. It's something that arises naturally as a byproduct of being well supported. Mm-hmm. So where young people lack resilience, I think it's usually because they don't have a community, they don't have a safety net, um, they don't feel part of something. Mm-hmm. And that you know you can see that happening more and more because of things like austerity and mm. you know because this is this is why i struggle slightly with this whole idea that that phones and social media are to blame for poor mental health because um for example i was at a conference last summer and um there was a, a man presenting who had this graph and he was saying look you can see clearly that anxiety and self-harm mm. started to rise in in 2010 and have continued to to um escalate quite dramatically since then and he was saying and this is of course is to do with phones and social media and i was saying well you know isn't 2010 also when we had austerity and sure. michael Goving in charge of the education system and more rigorous testing and losing mm. things like art and sport and you know all of these things have to be taken into consideration so i think if you have um, an outlet to express difficult feelings if you feel part of a community and well supported you will naturally be resilient so where does our obsession with external validation come from why are we seeking it is it that we have the platform to seek it so much more now or is it you know is this something that we've always sort of had in us and now there's just ample opportunity to do it i think there is a reason that girls tend to on average report higher levels of dissatisfaction after using social media than their male counterparts and it's because again it's the socialization process that little girls are taught that the best thing that they can be is but also useful and to please others interesting you know boys are taught to please themselves and girls are taught to please others so if you're helpful or kind you know that's when you tend to get praised as a girl I suppose being attractive is kind of like you're not being attractive for yourself you're being attractive for the sake of a man exactly but I think what a like represents is oh I've made somebody else happy maybe and that's why girls more often than boys seek that validation because they they haven't been taught to please themselves and that's something that we need to examine yeah you might mm. have seen i got into huge amounts of trouble last november for suggesting that we should have more gender neutrality in the education system in terms of things like language and um the subjects that we encourage young people to to study and even uniforms you know just because I think there's nothing wrong with being feminine, there's nothing wrong with being masculine, if that's the natural choice you would make if all things were equal. Mm. But right now things aren't equal, and I don't think that young people are flourishing because these these rules about gender are ingrained into them in, in such an, an early age. Mm. Absolutely. And that's really interesting because I think the, the automatic assumption is that selfie culture or, or whatever is that it's all about appearance it's Mm. all about pressure or or this kind of this idea that we need that validation is that it's all about appearance and how we look and because we're constantly told that the thing about us that is most valuable is you know how attractive we are or like the highest value is is placed on that with with women and girls but it's interesting that actually what you're saying is is a bit more complicated than that that is part of a bigger thing which is about pleasing other people I think so and I also I worked with a team at UCL who specialize in gendered psychology and they said that women on average have a inbuilt body image shame trigger Mm. so 
then again, the relationship becomes more complex because I, I was saying to them, I couldn't understand why. Bearing in mind, I talk about education and mental health, no, neither of which has anything to do with what I look like. So I would go on telly and I would say something controversial mm -hmm. and I would have literally queues of men on social media lining up to tell me that they didn't want to have sex with me. <laughs> and I was like, well, damn, yeah, that's fine. Like, you know, yeah. it, I'll be honest with you, love. It was never on offer. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't work out. Yeah. I couldn't work out. What, and then I realized that it's on some level we know about these shame triggers that the male shame trigger relates to strength, which is why, you know, men get called weak or you yeah. know, a cuck is the thing at the moment on social media because... Because if you want to shame someone into silence, mm -hmm. you you play on their shame trigger. So it's not just a case of falling down a Kardashian wormhole on <laughs> uh, on Instagram, as I, I frequently do. Uh, <laughs> it makes me feel like shit, and I'm almost 36, so I wonder, like, you know, what that does yeah. to a younger person. Is social media making us lose touch with reality? What social media allows you to do is to create a photoshopped, idealized version of yourself. And you can completely understand why that would be attractive to anyone. Um, but particularly if you don't like the person that you are in the three-dimensional world. But something that I've noticed is that the, the times when I've genuinely been having fun, I very often forget to document it forget to take photos forget to post on social media you're actually enjoying yeah doing what you're doing yeah and we know that mindfulness is really key to mental health and and essentially mindfulness is just being in the moment so if you're taking yourself out of the moment in order to document it essentially you're you are storing up a memory because you you think you're going to enjoy it more in retrospect than you will yeah at the time that's a very peculiar facet of human psychology really yeah. and it's so new that I don't think anyone's properly explored it yet so Natasha where's your head at oh yeah <laughs> yeah uh, where's your head at is um, a campaign to make it law that all workplaces must have mental health first aiders they're exactly the same as your regular first aiders apart from they specialize in things like panic attacks and stress and depression and you go on a course and you learn what to say what not to say when it's an emergency situation and what's appropriate to recommend in, in terms of further support and care. I'm taking that petition to Downing Street on the 8th of October. Um, so if you do want to find out more about that campaign, it's whereyourheadat.org is the website. And where can we find you on social media? <laughs> Having spoken about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I mean, we're still going to be like <laughs> tweeting the shit out of this. So, you know. <laughs> Underscore Natasha Devon. Lovely. And your book is available at all good bookshops. Yeah, and bad ones too. Excellent. Thank you very much, <laughs> Natasha. You're welcome. Standard Issue for All Women.